to the Better Everyday Coaching Podcast. Today I'm joined by Anya Gahini to talk about our top five Frisbee inspirations. Hello, Anya. Hello, how are you doing? Good. I'm excited for this. I'm excited to see who's on your list. Um, just for everybody listening, these are the top five person, teams, coaches, players, um, anything that we saw on our own Frisbee journey and inspired us to be better at the either the playing or the coaching. Um, so I guess we'll just jump straight into it. Um, Anya, since you are guest on the podcast, I'm going to let you go first. Do you want to start with your first inspiration? And is this your fifth best or is this your top inspiration or is it random? Yeah, I'm going to go, well, vaguely in chronological order. Um, I found the the brief funny and I always find it funny when people ask like, inspiration like who was your inspiration or what was I don't particularly feel inspired by events or people but I think maybe like who was influenced or like motivated me to do something that's kind of more so how I feel it like something that motivates me like I see it and then that's like what I want to aim for what I want to be able to do so that's where my list is coming from more so Okay, I'm just going to point out that some of that you see and motivates you to do something and gives you something to aim at is probably the dictionary definition of being inspired. I used to hate those and I don't want to use it. Okay, that's fine. Your top five Anya's non-inspiration definition. Anya's non-inspiration list. Okay, give us your your first chronological in chronological order. Yeah, so the first one that I feel that really kind of gave me something to aim for or like someone that I felt like I wanted to to aim to be was Emer Staunton. I played in Jabba from 2013-2014 when I first started playing my first year and I just really liked the way that Emer played. I felt like I was similar enough to her like stature wise, like athletic wise and she was just such a solid thrower and an amazing handler. And when I started wanting to be a handler, it's like, yeah, Emer is someone I, someday I'll be as good as her. And I was on the mixed team in 2015 and she was the O-line handler and she was just so solid and a real rock for that line. And it really was something I was like, wow, that I'll be in a few years. I'll be there like that's kind of gave me something to aim for not with like any timeline in my head I think it was just like yeah I'll practice this throw though the way that she does it or practice this like play the way that she does it so that was definitely one of the big role models in my early career yeah Emer uh, obviously complete legend of Irish ultimate um sadly needed to retire way too early yeah in the 2019 season with the Irish team like my one doubt about the squad going into the, the year was like we don't have Emer and I could really do it Emer because Emer was a rock for so many teams that I'd coached for the previous six or seven years essentially uh, but you would you say would you say you feel like you surpassed her during that season <laughs> no <laughs> but I I, I think I'd became my my own person I don't I don't think we're similar or particularly comparable by the time I played in 2019 but 
I was always sad that I never really got to play with her when I was actually got good. Like she left before I felt like I was a competent Irish team player. But you probably wouldn't have been on an O line if uh, Eva was still there. Yeah, that, well, that's the other, the other thing. Like who who would have been there? Maybe you never know. Could have worked out some way. <laughs> it might have. Yeah, we never really uh, got to play together like at that level, which is sad yeah we could could definitely have done with Emer um being able to play for a few more years um okay uh unless you have anything more to say about Emer, i'll move on to first in mind i'm going to do it in sequential order as well sequential as in when they inspired me not when they were active because otherwise this would appear a strange list uh first for me it's also an irish person but the only one on my list uh and that's keen o'moran um so keen was my coach in my first year playing uh Osmit when I was in Trinity College Dublin and so already obviously a legend in Ireland. Like he was it was his third year in a row winning Irish player of the year that year. And yeah, he was a demonic player for Ireland that summer in the European Championship two thousand seven and then for the Irish team the next year in two thousand eight, which I was lucky enough to also be on, so got to kind of see Key playing at that level firsthand. Um, so he was definitely a big inspiration to me in those days with Trinity. Kind of, he told me he had to play the sport. He was further inspiration when he moved to London a few years later and played with Clapham and also coached Clapham. Uh, it was a big part of kind of Clapham starting to win European titles. Um, so I saw that as someone else coming from the Irish community is like, okay, we can produce um, players and coaches of. Uh, this sort of caliber of people who can go and win things I think I can go do the same um, so I've kind of been chasing Keen's success my whole career um, yeah so Keen is, is, is always number one for me so you're going to go over and coach Clapham now absolutely have no intention of ever doing that uh, I can't imagine worse thing if there's one thing that I dislike doing is coaching the favourite in anything, so I could not coach someone like Clapham or Mooncatchers or Bologna or, or anything like that. It would just it just feel too easy. I like doing things the hard way. Um we can move on to your, your second one. My second one is just the Jabba season twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. Early my first two years playing and I think quite formative in my career, trekking out two hours to training and two hours home on two buses to go to play in a a, a pretty, not terrible pitch in St. Anne's Park, but not the nicest field in the world. And having yourself as just an enthusiastic coach who also played with us. I think that, that I really like that component of it, that you were kind of a non-playing coach for that team, but also you just join in in the game as well. The way that you explain stuff is very helpful to me. I find your explanations and your coaching style suits me. And being able to play with some pretty, pretty good female players. Some legendary female players. <laughs> legendary Irish players made me work extremely hard in the first two years. I think I had a bit of the athleticism for it, but obviously not the experience. And I had the just the show up attitude of just going to every single training. But yeah, 
being able to kind of get really good reps in my first two years and just kind of seeing how going and showing up every week and having a group of people who were small, like we weren't a big team, but worked hard, how good that can be. I think it's sometimes understated and it's something I've kind of come around to now again is like, actually, I know we talk about having more players and stuff, but sometimes small teams and smaller groups can actually achieve a bit more. I will forever bang the drum for you don't need to play for the absolute best team that you can. It's not always positive to your development to do to play for the best team that you can because you don't necessarily get the opportunity. Um, I feel my development as a coach was massively served by me not playing or coaching for the best teams in Dublin. That I wouldn't have got the freedom and the amount of experience and the yeah, just having to go through the grind of just battling so hard for anything. Um, it was really, it was really formative for me. So yeah, I'm glad to hear Java was a similar environment for you as well. Um, definitely a special few years. Yeah, I definitely I learned a lot in lots of different ways <laughs> about frisbee and clubs and relationships and kind of politics of frisbee and clubs. I guess I just hadn't been part of that type of thing and in any other sports or situations before so I think that's helped me in life as well yeah I don't think we or me particularly made some of that easy for, for you particularly the politics part but I'm um, glad to hear you came through anyway okay so my second inspiration um is Lou Burris um obviously legendary uh U.S. coach um he had a phenomenal blog kind of just detailing his thoughts and Really, the reason I started my own blog was because I learned so much from Lou Burris's blog, and I'm not in any way comparing myself to Lou, but just wanted to be able to kind of openly talk about Frisbee and just give that insight because, yeah, I I really found blogs really useful compared to like coaching courses or books and stuff, even because I feel like in those sort of presentation environments like as a coach you just put your best foot forward all the time and you're really thinking about sending a good message whereas when you're writing a blog like quite often when I write I literally just write it I just have a thought and I just sit down and I write it and I think having that unfiltered access is way more beneficial because that's really what you're doing as a coach you're not thinking about it this I'm doing this I'm going to give this message in like the perfect way or like it's half time of the game I just need to to say something um so yeah I, I just really enjoyed getting that access and then in the 2012 world championships in japan uh lou and chase barling beckley as well um did the commentary and their commentary was just like unbelievable i still don't think it's been matched um since no offense to all the commentators i really like on all the tv in particular but like lou and chase really just seem like two guys lounging around in a chair chatting really intelligently about high level ultimate and i just learned so much um from listening to those two talk about frisbee yeah i i do like the the blogs it, it's a bit more digestible as well it's not anything formal or you can just kind of read it on the bus or at your your coffee break just have a quick scan of an article and then it's easier to look up and i can it's also easier for me to start a conversation with you about something or like on your instagram rather than a big block of a book or a big YouTube video about something. 
it's more of an in for people to kind of interact with the content. Yeah, I do always have to hold myself back from writing big long essays as well. I'm like, no, I want this to be to be short and sweet and someone can just read it like on the bus on the way home from work. Um and not have to yeah. You can release the extended version if you want. I think people would read it. <laughs> <laughs> I said I don't I like wanted to be somewhat dreaming conscious. I don't think people want to see that much inside my brain because it's not always that helpful. Uh, <laughs> Okay, Audia, give me uh, your third inspiration. So I think the main reason I became the thrower that I am now is the Callahan videos. And I think I got very lucky with the years I was in college. So I started college in 2013. And then so 2014 and 2015 are definitely some of the best. Callahan videos like the Dylan Freechild, Nick Lance, um, a load of the women's ones came out then as well. Marissa Rocker, football queen. Yeah, she yeah she was a bit later. I think that she was twenty sixteen. But um, I literally just consumed them as my college exam procrastination when they came out in May, and I just because they're such a nice little, they're a three minute thing. Like they're not like a TV show. They're there are a set amount of time you know you're going to watch and I just co- try to copy like every single throw I, I loved when a thrower one came out as well like the Jonathan Nethercutt extended 10 minute version it's like my most watched video on my YouTube channel and I just loved how then in that one they give like loads of different examples of the same throw the other ones before you maybe have one hammer or one scuba and a few hooks to probably a good receiver like a lot of them weren't actually particularly good hooks but the Jonathan Nethercutt one they'd show like seven hammers and they'd have ten scubers and then like each category of all of his throwing arsenal so then it gave me a lot more context to where I could use my throws and there was some great songs and the year that I was a captain of UCD every week for the training I just post one of my favorite Callahan videos to, for the sign up thing. Try and inspire other people. I don't think anyone else actually watched them. I think I was alone in that pursuit, but they just really helped me switch my brain off for a couple of minutes in my exams. And then I go out the next day and practice the throws. I really like that you've taken this and you've just got like a genre of thing as an inspiration. I think that's cool. Do you still have any Callahan video songs on your playlist? Yeah, loads of them. Well, the one from the Dylan Freechild isn't on Spotify, so that's unfortunate. The um, Loud Places is in, what's his name's one? I can't remember the guy now, but the name is, escapes me. So that one is definitely... Very bad when you, the song is, is better than the, the video. <laughs> no, no, the video is very good. And then, like, I'm the best in the... Um, now I'm forgetting all their names. I'm the best is one of the ones in one of the videos and... Jess Chambers' rendition of it at a a timeout in a match always gets the, the team going. Callahan videos were, were great. And I don't know if this, the first couple of years are just going to be everyone's favourite because it's so new to you. I always like the any defence focus ones, so I mentioned Rissa Raptor. Um, but I, I was always just like, fast forward to the, the bit where people play defence because I guess that just reveals your bias. Maybe that is how you ultimately reveal your bias. Uh, about playstyles in others like what's your most watched Callahan videos or what's the most 
watch segments of Galan videos. Because, um, yeah, I'm definitely a defense first mind. In our top five list, you want to give, can you think of your top three Callahan videos? The Jonathan Nethercutt, Jesse Schaffner, and probably the Dylan Freechild one. Nice. Good choices. Not a lot of scoobers in that set, but fair enough. I don't think so. Sorry, the Jonathan Nethercutt extended one. Oh, okay. I don't think I ever watched that. <laughs> I get really bored watching like people throw perfect throws over and over again. Ten minutes. For 10 minutes. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> do that. Okay, my third one then. Um, also kind of bloggy. Um, so Jim Parnella slash Eric Zaslow. Um, primarily for their book on ultimate techniques and tactics. Um, but also Jim's blog, which is really, really good. And again, a good insight into an elite mind in the sport. Uh, but yeah, I found that book really, really helpful to me early in my coaching career. There wasn't a lot of formal materials. And I think it was the first time I really got like a full end-to-end insight of someone's frisbee philosophy, even though it is a coaching book. Um, it's obviously very much based on the stuff that uh, Parnella would have run with it with his club teams. Um, so yeah, he got he had a lot of insight into that. And it's just, yeah, it's just cool to see the end-to-end stuff from someone that was, I actually don't know when the first publication was out. I just kind of assumed it was towards the end of his career. Um, so you kind of get again the finished product. Um, so yeah, that was that was big to me. There's still not many ultimate books, um, so I still think that's the one I recommend to everybody. Uh, and I know people now might say it's like old fashioned. It's very much based on like vertical stack coding, name coding, and stuff like that. But you know that sort of stuff has worked for a long, long time in ultimate. I think sometimes people need to go and even if you don't want to use the basics, I think like getting a real good grounding of the basics and why people use them is important because some of the people that dismiss vertical stack stuff I question their um their knowledge of uh, vertical stacks work but um I'm in danger going on around so I'll, I'll hold myself back. Yeah that was my third uh Anya we'll move on to your your fourth inspiration. So the twenty fifteen under twenty threes in London I was lucky enough that I was off that summer from college and myself and a couple of friends, we went over to it. Not young enough to play. Not playing. So in hindsight, potentially Ireland probably should have sent a a women's team to that. I think we probably had pretty good quality, but we were focused on EUC. But I went over to watch and slept on the changing room floor for for the three days that we were there uh, amidst flooding and thunder and lightning and all the drama that was at that uh, tournament but being able to be there for the final and see it live the USA Japan final with all of my Callahan <laughs> video friends playing and um just seeing like the two styles like big throws big athleticism versus the smaller dinkier throws like tiny spaces um completely opposite tactics and technical abilities of the two teams was just incredible. Yeah, that was an incredible final and definitely one I still go back and, and rewatch um now and then just is that an interesting stylistic matchup as well as like two yeah. quality teams going head to head. It's interesting it's obviously this is a bit of a tangent apologies because uh, obviously you describe like the US as like bigger throws, more aggressive throws and using their athleticism um, I was finding it interesting that like height and 
speed are it's very easy bits of athleticism to pick out. Whereas anyone who's played against Japan knows that they are insanely athletic um, because their agility and their ability to decelerate and accelerate is unmatched. Um, so I, I think it was a really good example. I think two teams probably playing to their athletic strengths rather than just like trying to play a frisbee style for the sake of it. I think both teams tried to maximize what they had. Um, Japan just did it better. Yeah, I kind of, I suppose I do agree with you, like Japan are, they are so athletic, like they're catching ability in, in any type of tiny space they manage to to get the disc if it's in any way within their radius. But I kind of see that small space play as nearly like more of a technical thing rather than like an athletic skill. I feel that to be able to pass to someone within two meters when the disc is coming so quickly, like it's such a, so there's a lot of technical aspects to having to, to be able to throw and to know that your player is going there and to catch the disc and then to pivot afterwards rather than it just being pure athleticism, which is what I feel like the Americans was like, we are going to run and throw this huge throw. And that's not to say that the Americans weren't also very technical and tactical but i suppose the japanese that japanese style of play is is just like it looks like a team that know each other so well and they they know where the person is going to go before that person knows they're going to do it yeah those like sequences of inside forehands were like they're still incredible to go and watch i still haven't seen anyone do that like the precision the windows they were hitting like it was windy the, the speed they were throwing them at so they weren't impacted by the wind. It's just yeah. it's baffling to me that a team can play that well, like that precise for that long against a team of the caliber they were playing against. Yeah. And that they then also didn't double down in what they were doing. So they drag all the Americans in. And then if there was a space, they'd chuck a hammer over the top or throw a hook. They were like, and they would be pinpoint too. So it was like the pinpointedness wasn't just in short spaces. It was in... So to so many parts of the field and then the handlers just throwing hammers around the around the end zone, like around the back of the end zone on the downwind. Like I was like, OK, cool. You know, we could be chill when we're on the back of the end zone line. We, we can throw overheads whenever. <laughs> no need to panic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mass report. If anyone hasn't watched it, it's on YouTube. Just just go watch it and, and marvel at all the incredible stuff that happens in that game. Um, I don't think we even spoiled the ending. So we haven't spoiled it. So yeah, we haven't spoiled anything. I actually don't think we mentioned, it, but we're talking about the women's final in case you're, oh, you're yeah. confused. Um, I think the open final is, is more notorious for being violent <laughs> than it is for being skillful. Um, okay, uh, my fourth one then is related um, because I actually had the same Japanese team on my list, but kind of combined with the Japanese women's team at Worlds in 2012. And the through line there is Eri Harai, um, who was, I don't know if there was official MVP of the final in 2012, but it was Hirai. Um, that final 2012 is my most watched game um, between Japan and the US. Yeah, just the Japan team is like a dream team for me in the way they played. Just so skillful, so fast, so precise. and 
kind of most impressive to me was just like the energy that they played with was off the charts. Anyone that's played with me, which is a long time ago now, knows that I could go into like manic energy modes and I still do as a coach occasionally. That Japan team was just like in controlled manic energy start to finish in that final and just enjoyed watching. So it was the 2015 team who I thought um, were similar and I think it's so easy to get obsessed with techniques and tactics and they're obviously very like they excelled in both of those aspects I just thought the energy of the team as well um, it's not a very sophisticated thing to talk about I always feel like coaching analysis and stuff online misses out on just things like that that really really matter it's just like sometimes one team just act, does actually just work harder than the other team and try harder than the other team and that's no that's no shame on the other team I put those Japan teams were, were, were incredible and again if you haven't watched that 2012 women's final go watch it it's an amazing game we will save your last one for last only so I'll go on to my fifth one now so my my final one then is the revolution team that won the 2017 US Open uh, so I was lucky enough kind of similar to your story about the under 23 worlds I was lucky enough to be in Minnesota for the US Open, not playing, not coaching. Um, Fiona was in... What a coincidence! Fiona was in Boston for the summer, so naively we said, oh, I'll come over and visit, but we'll go to, I'll go to, we'll go to Minnesota. Because <laughs> that's really close. And uh, watch the US Open while we hang out. Um, not knowing that, like, a bunch of teams would definitely have picked up Fiona if they had known that she was going to be there. But, so, so probably lucky that um, they didn't know that. So I actually got to spend some time with her. But yeah, that Revolution team obviously kind of took the tournament by storm. They beat everybody, beat all the top US women's teams. My favorite thing about them was their force middle defense. It was utterly ruthless. Like, so, so difficult to play against. So many people sneaking across the lanes for layouts. Uh, Cardenas isn't particularly good for, for doing that. And it was just really opened my eyes to well, a couple of things. Firstly, the US teams weren't invulnerable. And. I mean, probably should learn less because Japan beat them before, but um, just to be like, okay, I knew Japan were great at Ultimate. Colombia kind of were late bloomers because they weren't that strong. And then they came out with this generation of players that could match and it's like, okay, well, Colombia can do it. Other teams can do it. And we are starting to see that, I think, uh, come through across the globe. And it's nice to see that gap close. But yeah, that Revolution team was inspiration at that point. But then, as I said, that fourth middle. Like they did a lot of great things on offense. They actually played a lot quicker, like a lot more small ball, which has probably been more influential. But it's that defense, yeah, that won me over. I still, th- I still, still try to emulate some of the stuff that they were doing and the teams that I'm coaching now, which um, I can't say that's normal. Um, a lot of my own stuff, a lot of stuff I run is sort of my own stuff. But uh, yeah, that Revolution team, that force middle, go watch them again. Games on YouTube. It's dream defense to watch. Do you see any of that on you? I'm sure I send you links. I've actually haven't watched that game. Oh. I'm I'm not very good for watching full games. It's be a, a video edited with a, a good soundtrack. Yeah, basically <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I'm not very good at sitting down to watch stuff, which I think is why that that 2015 game I actually have watched that back maybe twice. So. Uh, very much is worth the, the worth the watch, but I should I should look at that stuff. But I think I focus too much on just watching the disc, and then I don't really get grasp a lot from 
the tactical side of things when I watch tape. So it's it's a minorly lost on me. Yeah, it's interesting because well, obviously you were there for a 2015 yeah. game. And I was there for that Revolution tournament. And it's hard to tell if you would have got the same experience watching at home. Like, I think some things you really do have to see in person. Like, you can see how much that fourth middle was just wrecking people so clearly when you were there and you could, like, feel the pressure. Yeah. When you're watching at home, everything kind of just looks too simple. Yeah, it's a bit more obvious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too simple. And, again, I'm going to bring up another, like, I don't like analysis of, of games. So it's like, well, we're going to stop the video here and be like, look, all these people are in the wrong position or this person made the wrong decision here. And it's like, it's different when you're out there. Um, and yeah, it definitely helped. You haven't been there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not in like you, you have to like be of that level or something, but like the game feels different when you're actually in it. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of analysis can miss. And when I'm writing stuff, I try really hard to not miss that because obviously now I'm watching so far <laughs> on OTTV and writing about it. I'm like, oh, I know it's probably... I sometimes message coaches afterwards and be like, did I get everything completely wrong here? You just let me know. Do you think there's, do you think there's a way that, like, I suppose that's what OTTV and Ulti World are trying to, like, do is create stories and for this year in the European season, like, create a season and a, a thread do you think that there's a way that you can bring that more to the to people online or how can we create that same feeling of whoa this is insane yeah it's tough i mean obviously like the camera takes away some of the personality automatically yeah i noticed like b ultimate are doing like a mic up series where like the mic up people for a game and us stuff that's really cool like just listening to the warm-up, listen to, like, the speeches during huddles and stuff. I think that goes a long way to kind of bringing in the emotional intensity of a game rather than just the technicalities of X's and O's and things, and completions and not completions. So, yeah, that sort of stuff would be cool to see a lot more of. Yeah, I think Ulti World do that, or maybe it's the ESPN stuff that, like, have the on-field cameras mm-hmm. a bit more. And maybe Ulti TV have started to do it as well. But I think that, you know, as as a person watching, it does give a bit more atmosphere and you see people's emotions and their faces and maybe on the sideline and that kind of stuff. I guess in when you're watching soccer, they zoom in on the coach and they zoom in on the vent. The dramatic slow-mo of yeah, people's like, faces and stuff, yeah, it really helps. Maybe that's why it's more watchable is and they zoom in on the crowd and stuff, whereas in, in Ultimate, it's just, just the pitch and yeah. you're just getting a, a kind of a sterile view of a frisbee match without any of that extra flourish yeah and definitely and I, it's also really tough for the commentators and others who are often doing like back to back to back to back <laughs> games of different teams every time so i can only imagine how hard it is to kind of get into the headspace of those teams and those moments and when the like excitement. you're just doing yeah the excitement when you're just like oh this is I've got five more games today i can't go i can't really go too nuts here um okay audio let's Get to your most recent inspiration. Not your top inspiration, but yeah, your most recent one. Um, yeah, so this is also more of a genre of inspiration. My I guess just teammates in general. I am a very externally motivated person. I don't really have a lot of intrinsic like motivation or discipline. So I suppose the Callahan videos helped me like 
give me a bit of motivation to go out and play. Like Jabba training was good. I was willing to like go two hours to that session. Like I've one video on my thing, but I think just like knowing that my teammates are working really hard, like in off pitch and on pitch, like if I'm feeling tired or kind of upset about something I did and then I just see someone like running their ass off on the field like that is just the best thing about playing team sports is that your teammates are there and they're working really really hard and that makes you want to work hard having like a grind channel or people putting on Instagram their gym workouts makes me think about the gym and then I might go (laughs) it doesn't usually make me feel guilty or anything but I'm like no I probably probably should go and kind of gives me a bit of a a bump to do those things and then I suppose in terms of fun that also when my teammates are having fun and they're funny and making jokes and stuff that makes me like enjoy it and want to work harder because I want more of that such different people sometimes aren't you (laughs) <laughs> no i i'll see yeah, you hate having fun so. i hate having fun but i like having i like <laughs> working I, little, little, I a little different at this because i almost like having fun by not treating the situation with like solemnity so like come into a, a huddle of like 11 all in the final or something like but i'll make a joke or something and just trying to fuse any tension to be like, this is only a game of ultimate at the end of the day. We're yeah. allowed to enjoy it or like, this isn't the, actually the end of the world. I kind of hate those speeches where you're like sh- shouting and ranting and raving at people and saying how important they are. It's not really that important. Uh, we all remember that. It's a lot easier. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, my idea of having fun in those moments. So the same as you. <laughs> Don't even know if that, just making a joke. <laughs> I guess it's just like not for me it's like still being very focused on the actual game and stuff but not necessarily treating it with like yeah reverence yeah but it's still like I don't want anything I don't want to talk about anything outside that so like it wouldn't be fun for me if someone whipped out a speaker and were like let's all dance this song I'd be like no I still want to talk about the game I'm just not necessarily going to say this is like the most important thing in your life yeah so yeah we probably are different because I think my last three years of captaining, I'd just point at Sophie Farnan and be like, go for it, Sophie. And then she would do a rendition of a SpongeBob song. For there we go. Yeah, see, I, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> or point at Jess and she'll do also a rendition of some obscure rap and with uh, accompanying dance moves, which I think in maybe not saying that the game isn't serious because I don't know if that does suit everybody. I think... Yeah, each to their own. I I, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I'm, I don't wanna... I'm, I'm riding your arm. Just, yeah, I just got reminded how different we are about these things sometimes. <laughs> but but yeah, we've been managed to work together pretty successfully um, over many years. So despite those differences, I just we don't listen to each other. It's perfect. Yeah, it's fine. We just do our own thing. <laughs> you just don't listen to me as your coach. It's grand. Uh, in terms of, like the inspiration from like your teammates working hard and stuff, is there a particular? vehicle to get that inspiration like you mentioned having like grind channels in your slack and stuff is that your favorite way to do it or is it is there any other ways um yeah that's going to be the main way like some people post on instagram and i like definitely watch them and appreciate their work i know it's a bit different like lots of people don't want to do that i go to team gym 
So just being in the gym with my friends and I've done that a good few years now. We did it in 2019 and then we've done it the last two years. So in person is nice and then we can have fun in the gym also. And it makes the sessions go a lot quicker. And I'm also kind of competitive person. So I'm, I'm competitive with myself when I'm with other people and I'm less competitive with myself when I'm on my own, which is a slightly bizarre feature. Because I I'm not I don't really care what other people are doing and I don't really care what weight they're lifting. But for some reason, I'm like, OK, I can do better now in those contexts, which is why team sports suit me a lot. But I think just knowing that people are working and the, the grind channels help with that, like they're a bit also kind of a sterile thing of posting in a picture, but they appreciate the effort. I think teammates showing effort in some way is good. And one of the things my Kamogi coach used to say to us was put in 100% perfect effort. So he didn't say you had to be perfect, but you had to put in a perfect effort for your team and for your teammates and for yourself. And I always really liked that way of phrasing stuff that you can't always be perfect, but you can try as hard as you can. Yeah, I think that's a great note to leave it on. And I think if people want to take inspiration for any of this, I think that's a really important one and definitely motivates me as a coach to to want to coach a team or stay with a team or work as hard as I can from a team when I see that. And I already mentioned just the winning isn't why I do this, even though I like I'm obsessed with winning. It's the winning with with the effort that kind of makes the process worthwhile. Um, so thanks, Oni, for sharing all that. Um, it's really nice getting an insight into the things that make you tick. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping to do like a series of this. So if you're listening and you want to nominate someone to come on and talk about their inspirations or you want to come on and talk about your inspirations, you can message me on Instagram at, at Better Everyday Coaching. Um, or you can DM me on Discord and again our Discord link is in all the posts on Substack Um, so thanks for listening 